This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Under what circumstances should big tech firms be hauled into antitrust court? What would happen if the U.S. applied European-style regulation to Amazon, Google, and Facebook? Christian Stout is Associate Director of the International Center for Law and Economics. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Who's Afraid of Big Tech conference last month. There is a popular story uh, that I have heard from numerous different people about, look, IBM was in antitrust court, and by virtue of the fact of it being in an antitrust court, it paved the way for Microsoft to become a massive corporation. And to the extent that Microsoft has been in antitrust court, certainly in Europe uh, and elsewhere, it has, has lost some market share because of that. Uh, if that story is true, and you can tell me if it to the ex- the extent to which it is or it isn't, uh, why wouldn't hauling Google and Facebook and uh, other large platforms into antitrust court? Why wouldn't that then pave the way for massive new innovation and reduce the stranglehold that these companies have on users? Yeah, that is a popular story that goes around. I think that it fails to take kind of a lot of things and. Um, even the, the Microsoft case itself, if you if you think about it, it failed to take account of a number of dynamics that are important. Um, first, it's not clear that the Microsoft case led to Google. People like to say that, but I've not seen any evidence that suggests that um, it happened. I think the the thing that gets cited is uh, there were some comments. I don't even know if it's true. It might be apocryphal that um, Microsoft was thinking about uh, search engines and they saw Google developing and they were afraid of antitrust regulation uh, or uh, enforcement. So they decided not to to do anything with with uh, search engines. I, I don't know. I guess maybe, but the the more complicated thing. So like in the Microsoft case, um, the court determined that Microsoft had a had a monopoly in a relevant market for operating systems and that they were abusing that market to foreclose the entry of uh, browser, um, challenging browser developers. And this kind of demonstrates one of the problems when you're looking at these markets that that are, um, uh, that, that, that these antitrust uh, claims have. There was no sense in the decision that they took account of the fact that when Microsoft started its business, there were no such thing as application developers as they came to be known and exist when uh, Microsoft had its platform running. So the the potential competitors to Microsoft, they wanted to put a browser on their platform and and it was difficult, certainly. Um, they faced a, a radically different market that they could have uh, they could have had access to all sorts of advantages that Microsoft itself didn't have. So when thinking about the barriers to entry, it failed to take account of all the efficiencies and the the, the pro-social benefits that Microsoft generated. And, and that kind of I think that that gets uh, that that gets implicated when you think about the how Microsoft might have affected Google. Like th- at the time, Microsoft, the, the the statements of Bill Gates were thinking about uh, who is going to become gatekeepers for their operating uh, for access to the internet, and they were worried about like potential rivals in operating system markets and how people could access that stuff. It was what like twenty years before something like Chrome OS was a valid challenger to, to Microsoft in terms of of, of an operating system. All the things that Microsoft would have tried to have done in the in the late '90s would have been completely pointless anyway, because the, just the technology necessary wasn't there for 20 years. So you potentially put this this break on on Microsoft that um, uh, is ineffective and wastes time and resources. And then it has another effect. If you think about it, um, Microsoft shifted from being a company that that specialized in, in innovation and they were still innovative, but they they started to include 
um, offensive antitrust as part of their their activity. So they became one of the biggest complainants against Google in the in the 2000s as Google got bigger, and they they were um, instigating a lot of antitrust suits. So you actually see a shift of resources from innovation toward this legal pursuit. And I'm just not sure that on net you actually gain the benefits you think you're gaining. When we talk about antitrust law and, you know, years ago, somebody wrote a book for the Cato Institute that basically argued, look, antitrust law is essentially incoherent and uh, trying to nail down uh, some sort of a substantial claim against a company that is in a very competitive interest industry. So much of what these uh, platforms and, and, you know, software companies and online platforms are offering is free. Yeah. And it, the ease with which users can move away from those platforms is, uh, you know, negligibly small. Right. And, and so, or I should say the difficulty is very, very small. Right. So, so how, what, are the claims being made about why companies like Google and Facebook uh, and others need to be brought into antitrust court? Well, I, I don't want to credit the claims, but the because I think that there's problems with them. But I think the most common ones that you see people trying to make out are that um, with these platform economies, uh, these platform companies where they have a zero priced product on one side of the market for users. There's actually um, a pricing structure on the other side that you have to take account of. So, uh, uh, you know, for instance, on the the ad side, the ad buying side, Facebook and Google are are interact with um, companies that want to purchase ads from them. So there's there's price effects that you possibly can manage there, and there's some allegations that um, maybe they're behaving anti competitively there. Um, another one, which I think is even more dubious, is that by be, the the network um, the network effects that characterize platforms, meaning um, the more users who use it, um, the more attractive it is to more users. So there creates like a, a positive feedback effect where the platforms can grow large, can scale up very quickly. Um, it's like all my all my friends are in the bar. Exactly. And there's a ten dollar cover. I need to get in there. Right. And you'll pay the and then it's worth it to pay the ten dollar cover because then you can go and and see all your friends. So Facebook, the reason why Facebook is valuable to me is because I can talk to all my friends and colleagues on Facebook. Um, the reason why Amazon Marketplace is valuable to me is because they managed to aggregate a large number of third-party sellers on the other side of the platform, and I can basically get anything I want delivered to me tomorrow. Um, and the fear is that, that na the nature of those network effects creates positive, a positive feedback loop whereby no one ever will go to any other platform, and therefore these, these platforms will be able to develop a, a pool of data that gives them a competitive advantage that no one else can ever match. I, I think there's problems with that story, but that typically is how I see most of the, the the criticisms of these companies come out. So there are problems with that story. What are the what are the biggest ones? Well, the biggest problems are um, first off, data. Um, you know, the allegation is often made: data is the new oil, and you know what people are trying to harken back to is standard oil case and saying that uh, you know the currency of of the age is data. And maybe the, maybe the currency of the age to some extent is data, but has nothing has no characteristics in common with oil beyond um, something superficial. Data is completely um, portable. Any any piece of information about me, if Facebook has it or Amazon has it, any other company can acquire it, either through attracting me to their service or there's all kinds of like third party data brokers that maintain certain kinds of lists that they can acquire mailing lists. This has been a business for as long as there's been the public mail, most likely. Um, <clears throat> So the data itself is not, um, the, the, the observational data about me is in itself not really worth anything. Uh, and then 
so there's another part of the data that the the critics then look at is to say, well, the the behavioral data on those platforms. So when Facebook gets to see everything I like, or Amazon gets to see everything I shop for and purchase, and they can aggregate that together, and then they can they can work up a psychological profile. That's where the the um, the the real problem comes from. And it's like, well, another service can attract me to their to their their network. I can use it, and they can make the same sorts of observations and calculations. And they might even do it better. I mean, if you look at Google in the '90s. Um, the the search wars were declared over. I think I forget who they declared the winner. I think Yahoo, Yahoo or Lycos was considered the winner of the search wars, the internet search wars. And this was like in 1999, while Google was still developing their algorithm. There was, if you look at early ads of Google, they were saying, "Oh, we have over 25 million search and more coming soon." You know, before long, Google demonstrated that a superior algorithm can overcome any kind of data data effects that are out there. How likely is it? A sign of probability, if you can that uh, companies like uh, Google or, or uh, Facebook will be dragged into court, or Amazon for that matter? Well, I mean, you're seeing them dragged into court, at least in abroad. The European Union um, has t- two or three cases that they've uh, they have two decisions. I think there's another one pending uh, in the European Union. Um, Australia is looking at Facebook and Google right now. Germany is looking at Facebook and I think Google as well. Uh, Austria announced something. And um, uh, you know, even in the United States, you see the FTC has announced that they're now putting together a new task force to take a look at these companies. I mean, the, the companies, they're, they're going to be subject to scrutiny. I think that's kind of an inevitable future being a large firm. Um, what I would hope not to see in the United States is relying on on theories like the European Union uses for going after these companies. I think that would be dangerous for us. What is it essentially the difference between how Europe treats large companies? I know that uh, with uh, Microsoft in particular, uh, the European Union treated them very differently than the U.S. did. Uh, so, you know, what are, the, what are the theories that they're using that would be so dangerous if applied here? So, uh, I mean, the, the legal regimes are different. They, they, they contain features that look superficially similar, but the way they come out is very different. I think I think it's fair to say that the European, at least at the European Commission level, um, not thinking about the member states, there's a lot more discretion vested in in the enforcement decisions. It's more explicitly a political exercise. It's a political appointment to be the, the competition commissioner, and 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 the the cases that are sought are they they seem to be pretty pretty explicitly political. They also use um, a theory of leveraging in the United in the in the European Union, which is similar but different to the way we think about um, uh, abuses of dominance in, in the United States. Uh, essentially, so th- there's, a, there's a doctrine in the United States called um, essential facilities doctrine, which is not very broadly used. It's considered um, basically at the extreme limits of antitrust law in the United States. And the idea being, if you're a very large company or you're an important company in a particular market, you have something like an obligation yeah, it's more complicated than this, but something like an obligation to allow smaller competitors to use access to your services because they're considered essential facilities for that market. The European Union is much more comfortable using this theory. So, for instance, in the um, Google uh, the Google search case, there was a competitor found them, uh, which was a, a comparison shopping service that was trying to make a go of it in the late 2000s and early 2010s. And um, when Google would change its, its search algorithms, it did it in a way that ended up... Um, making it difficult for Foundum to achieve um, high natural search result rankings for its own website listings in Google. In the United States, that's kind of a, uh, that's too bad. You probably shouldn't have had an asset specificity problem. In the European Union, they looked at that as more of like an essential facilities 
problem and in their decision said that Google had an obligation to be fair to smaller competitors. Essential facilities sounds like common carrier. It's similar. It's not the same thing, but it is a similar kind of concept. What are the risks of doing this in the United States? If, you know, it, as if we uh, understand that Microsoft and uh, IBM were hobbled at least for a, a brief while by being hauled into antitrust court, what, what would be the potential costs uh, to people who make use of Amazon, Google, Facebook, and those other, other companies if they are tied up in antitrust court? Even if nothing comes of it. Right. Well, um, I mean, so when you introduce costs into the system, things get more expensive necessarily, or you get less features, you get less development. So Microsoft, you could argue, I, I, I've never seen an empirical study on this, but you could you could make out a case saying that, um, you know, during the 2000s, they probably became um, much more uh, focused on their legal strategy, their political strategy, figuring out how to position their company and much less on the dynamic growth period that you saw in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, there's costs and benefits to that. Maybe you prefer firms that become more legally and politically defensive and less experimental because you're afraid of disruption. But I think that that is a cost you have to take seriously. Um, I think that if, so for instance, like Amazon, um, some of the allegations against Amazon are that they they're, they unfairly treat um, merchants who are on their, their platforms, so third-party merchants who sell goods. I think one of the things you might see is less merchants on the platform if it became more expensive to maintain those merchants as they are. You might see less goods. You might see changes to how um, prices work on on Amazon. I, and you know maybe it might be a small effect. Maybe it might be a large effect. But I think you need to be very careful when you're interfering in these very dynamic, complex systems that clearly are yielding benefits right now. Christian Stout is associate director of the International Center for Law and Economics. We spoke at Cato's Who's Afraid of Big Tech conference last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 